Welcome back to another episode of Limbless MD. I'm your host, Vikram Raya, and today I have a really powerful guest. His name is Dr. John. He's known across the country as the doctor who is speaking about diabetes, surviving cancer, and about how chewing can actually be a revolutionary strategy to reduce things such as insulin resistance, Alzheimer's, and other things. And he has uh, an interesting viewpoint on some of the things that we hold to be true and trusted in traditional medicine. So I'm really excited to bring Dr. John in. He is on part of a uh, nationally syndicated uh, radio show. He's been on numerous podcasts across the country. He's been featured in the Washington Post. And so again, uh, let's welcome Dr. John to the podcast. What if you could reclaim hours of free time each week, create legacy building wealth, and devote more energy to your passion projects without giving up on your career as a life-saving MD? My name is Vikram Raya, functional cardiologist, high-performance coach, and real estate expert. And I'm here to give you the tools, strategies, and solutions you need to transform your life so you can unlock your limitless potential and achieve greatness all the while freeing up your precious time. Welcome to Limitless MD. Let's dive in. Welcome, Dr. John. I thank you for having me, and I, I thank our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as a cardiologist, I practiced for many years, uh, Dr. John, and, and I, I've seen diabetes really take a, a foothold all over the country. Tell me what your what your what are your thoughts on diabetes and 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 the and the the topic of insulin resistance? Diabetes is so important not only for people who are affected by it, even those who are not directly affected, for the simple reason that we are spending as a nation almost a billion dollars a day to treat diabetes and its complications. So if you want to save Medicare, for example, from bankruptcy, the best place to start is controlling type 2 diabetes. Now, go ahead. We have got 40 million people diagnosed already and about 80 million called pre-diabetes on their way to becoming type 2 diabetic. If we can stop them from reaching there, that alone can save Medicare and the healthcare system from bankruptcy. So the question is, what is the real cause of type 2 diabetes? And it's very interesting to look at the evolution of the concept. Now, everybody knows, every one of your listeners know what insulin does. When somebody comes to the front door of your house or apartment, they ring the doorbell, you know there is somebody outside. You can use a camera to know who it is. You can decide whether to let that person in or not. Every cell in the body uses glucose. When glucose comes to the cell, there is no doorbell for the glucose to ring, to let the cell know I'm outside. That is the job of insulin. So if insulin is not there, glucose accumulates outside, but the cells starve inside. And these children, the children who have been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, they used to die by age 10 because they have a dysfunctional pancreas that does not produce insulin. Dr. Elliot Jocelyn in Boston 
treated the maximum number of type 1 diabetic children. When insulin was discovered exactly 100 years ago, that was a lifesaver for these children. And Dr. Joslin kept very meticulous uh, recording of these children, how they, well they did. So he promoted giving insulin injections to everybody who has high blood sugar. When his own high, uh, elderly relative came with high blood sugar, he injected her with insulin and sure enough, her blood sugar went down. In type 1 diabetic, the dose of insulin is connected with the uh, achieving normal blood glucose level. So that was fine. So he tried to do the same with his older relatives. What he did not know at that time was, at the time of diagnosis, an adult diabetic has normal or sometimes even above normal levels of insulin in the body. So on the one hand, you have high insulin high blood glucose at the same time. So endocrinologists had a problem, how to explain that. So they just came up with the concept that body is resisting insulin. The, the, the reason was about that time, there were first reports of penicillin resistant bacteria. So endocrinologists just took that concept applied to the adult diabetics and they explained everything to confirm what they already believed in so i see you're 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 uh, you're saying the insulin resistance um that that theory uh was sort of um uh come came to light from the from sort of historical observation and as well as uh sort of the scientific findings of the times so let's let's get into something more practical. Um, you wrote a book called Diabetes, uh, Type Two Diabetes: Eight Steps, uh, you know, uh, to cure it in eight weeks, essentially. So, when when you have a diabetic, when you have a person, and whether it's insulin resistance, whatever you want to use the terminology for it, they're, they're they have essentially what we call as type two diabetes. What is your eight week game plan? The the first question is. Word is how, you know, how is the blood sugar going? What's the cause of elevation of blood sugar? In type 1 diabetes, as we know, it is underutilization of available glucose. Whereas in type 2, it's oversupply. We are putting more glucose into the system than the body can use. So the solution is so simple. You cut down the entry of glucose. If you look at it, 60 years ago, we had the Green Revolution. Every government around the world subsidized grain farming. The amount of food energy an average person consumed before that, 100 years ago, was less than 35% of their total daily food energy intake. Now, in developed countries, it is 50%. In developing countries, it is 70% of food energy coming from grains. All we have to do to control or prevent or reverse type 2 diabetes is cut down the amount of grain-based food energy to half of 
one half of what you are consuming right now. A simple procedure like that will take care of the problem of diabetes, not insulin injection. Because when you give insulin injection, the blood sugar goes down, but it does not go out of the body. So, Dr. John, you know, a lot of people in the functional medicine space, integrative space, a lot of people in, um, you know, people who are like, you know, uh, trainers, they, they seem to follow this philosophy of low carbs and really, you know, more protein and healthy fats. Is that essentially how to uh, reverse in eight weeks, what you're saying? Yes, exactly. In, in 1970s, uh, an Australian researcher asked 10 Australian aborigines to, with type 2 diabetes on medication to go to the bush and live like their ancestors did. In seven weeks, they lost weight. Then they don't. They didn't need any more diabetic medications. Their blood sugar became normal. What did they eat in the bush? Everything except cultivated grains. Even bigger example is the Native Americans who were brought to the reservations in the year 1900. They had complete medical checkup. They practically had no type two diabetes. Now, 50% of the Pima Indian adults are diabetic. Why? Because they were given free food, grain-based food, whereas in the wild, they never stayed in one place to cultivate grains. So uh, you really believe that the uh, excess uh, intake as well as excess availability of grains and uh, you're not discriminating against the type of grain you're just saying grains which form a lot of the carbohydrates uh in our meals are really triggering this explosion uh, of diabetes wheat corn and rice are the major grains around the world and this is why the incidence of type 2 diabetes is increasing not only in this country everywhere in the world india china united states we have, those are the top three diabetes incidents in the world. Why? Same problem. And now, because of the packaging, because of the convenient foods, almost every food that you can buy over the counter, easily available, are made with grains and grain flour. Think about it. When is the last time you had a meal or a snack without a grain product? I follow that a lot. So this morning for me, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. What? Let me ask you a question, Dr. John. A lot of people are going to wonder, all right, my friend, what do you eat? So give me give me a typical day of meals for you. Um, I, in the morning, I eat two tablespoons full of uh, uh, oatmeal with some nuts, half, uh, half and half, uh, 2% milk. Wait, wait, and- wait, wait. Are you eating grains in the morning? Yes, I do. The reason being, during the night, the the organ that is most active is your brain. Everything else is shutting down, and your brain uses glucose. And you are using brain is using glucose at the uh, uh, turn of uh, at the tune of one teaspoon per hour. So you need about three or four tablespoons of cereal to replace that in the morning. So that is why I take two tablespoons of oatmeal in the morning. Let me ask you a question about a lot of people. 
having more and more evidence for inter intermittent fasting. You are fasting every day between meals and all night long. So if you want to fast longer, no problem. That's up to you. Okay. The, the primary question is, you know, breakfast. What does breakfast mean? You are breaking fast. There is no set rule when you should do that. Your brain knows when you should feel hungry. You don't even know. You cannot predetermine when you are going to be hungry, when you are going to be thirsty. How does the brain know that? That is the curiosity that led me to write my first book, Eat, Chew, Live. What is the physiological tri uh, trigger signal that the brain uses to create the sensation of hunger? So and how does the brain feel satisfied with different levels of intake? You cannot predict how much will it take to quench your thirst, can you? So let's talk about your book, Eat, Chew, Live. Um, the interesting part, a lot of people have written books similar to that, but the interesting part I, I want to focus on is the chew. Can you, can you unpack that term and why did you include that in your title? Yes, very definitely. How do, how do you know, how does the brain know what nutrients are coming in? The body needs over 100 different nutrients. So how does first the body create a sensation of hunger? It cannot be based on one, the deficiency of one nutrient. Otherwise, you'll be hungry all the time. So it accumulates. The, the brain... The control center is getting information from different parts of the body as to the availability or non-availability of different nutrients. When the total reaches a threshold level, the brain says, okay, it is time to eat. When you go for a buffet, how do you select foods based on what you enjoy, what you have previously enjoyed? For lunch, you, you select four or five items, you enjoy them. If you go back to the same buffet for evening, you don't select exactly the same items you enjoyed. Why? You think you need variety, but where did that come from? The brain knows the nutrients you got from what you ate at lunch are still there, but other nutrients have become deficient. So the brain, the subconscious brain will send a message to the conscious brain Look at the other ones. They contain the need based on the previous experience. They will provide the needed nutrients now. Now, when you eat, the brain needs to know, are they coming in? That is the function of the taste buds and smell receptors in your oral cavity. In order for them to detect the nutrients, you have to release them at a rate where they can detect them. Think about this. From nature, can an adult, an adult human being get nutrients from any food without chewing? Except for honey, everything else requires chewing. Why? Chewing releases the nutrients at a rate where the 10 receptors can pick them up, report to the brain, and the first bite, when you're hungry, tastes so good. After a few minutes, the intensity of enjoyment goes down. That is your brain's way of telling you, you don't need any more of this food. Similar to when you drink in response to thirst, 
you don't drink until your stomach is full. You drink and suddenly you are not thirsty anymore, you stop. There's a similar mechanism for nutrient intake also. So Dr. John, um, I know that you also have some expertise in cancer. Uh, what are three strategies for people who've been diagnosed with cancer? I know a lot of physicians sometimes even get diagnosed with cancer. Um, what are some strategies that are perhaps novel that may have not been shared before that you can share that will help these people not only survive but thrive with and after cancer? The most important factor is cancer is a well-known thing for the body. Do you know when we have the maximum number of cancer cells in our body? Before we are born in the, in the fetal stage, we have more cancer cells. Why? Think about it. Cancer is uncontrolled multiplication of a cell. In order to understand cancer, we need to understand what is a controlled multiplication. Every human being is the product of controlled multiplication of one cell, the zygote. Now, let's start there, understand the normal, then we can understand cancer. The fertilization takes place not in the womb, in the fallopian tube. The the sperm goes into the tube, fertilizes the ovum, and the ovum, the zygote now, is rolling down to the through the fallopian tube into the womb. It's a six-day journey. By the time the zygote comes into the womb, there are 200 cells in them, in it. How is that possible? Where did the cell get the signal? How did it know? to multiply. And then in the womb, these 200 cells become stem cells for 200 different systems in the body, cells, organs, and systems. And each one, the stem cell, is instructed to produce the number of cells just for that organ. The kidney stem cell produces enough cells to produce a kidney, not any more, not any less. Why? How does it stop? How does it start? So when you get a, a cut, a skin cut, skin wound, how does it heal? The, the cell exposed will inform the stem cell at the baseline, at the basal level of the skin that my neighbor is missing. And the stem cell is the mother cell that produces baby cells. So the baby cells will come from both sides of the wound and when they reach the middle, when they touch each other, a message is sent to the stem cell, we don't need anymore. Now the process of multiplication comes from an order by a gene. I call it the cell division activation gene. But the inhibition, the stoppage order comes from a different gene the cell division stoppage gene in charge. Now, we get two copies of each gene in the body, one from the father, one from the mother. If one gene is mutated, the other will take over. If both genes are mutated, once the cell that's supposed to order the work stoppage 
or inhibiting the cell division, if those two, both copies are damaged, once the process starts, there is nobody to control it. So it keeps multiplying, keep multiplying, that is cancer. So that is why an average adult is, the age is 60, because he's accumulating mutations that affect the control gene, the gene in charge of preventing excess growth. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a very practical question, Dr. John. You have cancer. What are you gonna do in the next eight weeks to stop, kill, prevent, reverse your cancer? Well, it is not hypothetical for me because 11 years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. What kind? That is when I started the journey of understanding what cancer is. What kind of cancer, Dr. John? It was a, a type of leukemia. Okay. As we're, as we're coming, coming uh, close to time here, can you just wrap up and give us a quick summary of what was the major theme of how you were able to defeat your cancer? Because I had only two objectives. One, cancer is uncontrolled multiplication. Or, or there is a defect or a deficiency of my immune process to kill the cancer cells. We have cancer killer cells in the body for all of us. I did not have any immune deficiency. So it was continued uh, multiplication. So what is causing the multiplication? The multiplication in order to, for the cell to divide, it needs energy and nutrients. Cancer cells selectively use glucose for energy compared to muscles that can use fatty acids. So I reduced the supply of glucose, namely cut down to the in, cut down the intake of grain-based products to almost 20% of my daily food energy intake. So essentially you starve the cancer cells by restricting glucose. That on the one side, on the other side, I eat three different vegetables, three different fruits, three different nuts every day to give enough nutrients for my immune system. Awesome. So boosted immune system with phytonutrient diversity, as well as uh, some, some key nuts, and then uh, reduced glucose, uh, grain intake, uh, and essentially lived a low glycemic lifestyle that uh, did not create the favorable conditions for cancer growth. Exactly. Beautiful. That's exactly right. Uh, as we wrap up here, uh, Dr. John, it's been a, fa a fabulous conversation. You have a, quite a, a breadth and depth of knowledge, historical, anthropologic, you know, just just a, a beautiful mix of of history of medicine along with actual practicality of how to help patients. What's the impact you want to have on this world? The what I'm trying to do is to make people aware of the fact that they have to take charge of their own health, their own body, their own well-being. Eat what you enjoy, but more importantly, enjoy what you eat by chewing the food each time when you sit down. Eating is a private enjoyment that you can do multiple times a day, unlike any other item or fact practice you do. So take your time. Enjoy it. Don't be in a hurry. Take your time. Sit down. Enjoy it. Relax. Take charge of your body. Take charge of your health. And you'll be you'll live a long time. That's fantastic uh, advice. 
What's the best way for people to get a hold of you or, uh, or learn more about you? There is a website, drjohnonhealth.com. Okay, that's Dr. J-O-H-N-O-N-H-E-A-L-T-H, guys, drjohnonhealth.com. Thank you, Dr. John. I appreciate it. And I continue. I wish you continued success on your journey to help revolutionize the world and the country on greater health. And guys, until next time, keep uh, referring us friends, keep uh, listening to the podcast episodes, put in the comments below what you want to hear about next. And until next time, be phenomenal. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Limitless MD. If you found value from this episode, I encourage you to share this episode with a friend and let me know by leaving a review. For more information, make sure you check out the links in the show notes below or simply visit VikramRaya.com. So until next time, my friends, be phenomenal.